Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered. General Motors unveils its new plan to spend dollars with black-owned media outlets. I'm going to explain to you why it is grossly unacceptable and it is a trash offer and why the two black media companies agree to it and, frankly, sell the rest of us out. I will explain. North Carolina's Republican Lieutenant Governor slams Democrats for their voting rights efforts in a congressional hearing. I'll show you why this man is stuck on stupid. You'll also hear Reverend William Dr. Barber, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber's testimony at the same hearing in favor of restoring the Voting Rights Act. New York passes a bill to, re- to restore voting rights to people on parole automatically, and in Virginia, another unarmed black man shot by cops. Also, in North Carolina, a black man has been shot there, and the community is calling for body cam footage to be released 
in the shooting of Andrew Brown. And in L.A., the leader of Black Lives Matter says that despite Derek Chauvin's conviction, there's still a lot to do. She joins us along with the father of a young man who was killed by cops in Los Angeles. And how much are you teaching your children about finances? We'll talk about that in our Education Matters segment. It is time to bring the funk on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his speech on April 3rd, 1968, commonly referred to as the dream, uh, the mountaintop speech, this is what he said in that speech. He said, quote, it means that we've got to stay together. We've got to stay together and maintain unity. That's exactly what he said. The next day he was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. I wish Urban One CEO Alfred Liggins, as well as NNPA leader Ben Chavis, had followed what Dr. King had to say. Today, the folks at General Motors sent me this email announcing this press release. Please go to my computer. Uh, it says, uh, do y'all see it? It says, General Motors transforms approach to diverse media relationships. New action plan follows series of engagement sessions with diverse media. Approach seeks to drive economic empowerment and support a sustainable ecosystem. Plan includes increasing spend with black owned media to 8% by 2025. It says the company has adopted an action plan with five components. Increased diverse media spend. GM has increased its overall diverse media spend, including doubling its commitment for spending with black-owned media to 2% in 2021 and 4% in 2022, with a goal of reaching 8% by 2025. It then says on May 14th, GM is going to hold a dedicated upfront with diverse media owners ahead of the traditional media marketplace. The summit will encourage existing and potential partners to submit an overview of their business for consideration by GM for deeper engagements beyond the summit, including a request for proposal. The process that will be used for the selection of media will be accredited 
by a third party to ensure fairness and transparency. Sustainable growth. Diverse Marketing Incubator Fund. GM is allocating $50 million over 10 years, that's $5 million a year, to support and scale diverse marketing companies. This investment will support sustainable growth and is incremental to GM's media spend. Number four, inclusive measurement rubric. With the benefit of input from diverse media, GM established measurement criteria that will allow for more flexibility based on the size and scale of the media organization. GM's priority in collaboration with diverse media is to create a win-win for the diverse media companies and GM. Number five, expanded opportunities. Prospective partnering analysis. GM and its media buying agencies will use a multi-factor analysis for selection of diverse media. The analysis utilizes new criteria for assessing capabilities, reach, and analytics to drive more opportunity for diverse media. This is the quote from Deborah Wall, who is GM's global chief marketing officer. This action plan will transform our engagement model with diverse media in a sustainable way, said Deborah Wall, GM global chief marketing officer. Over the course of several weeks, we met with many diverse owned media organizations. We are grateful for the transparency and spirit of collaboration, which helped us frame this inclusive approach. Now watch this. Today's announcement follows GM's pledge in June 2020 as part of the Alliance for Inclusive and Multicultural Marketing to commit equality, inclusion, and systemic change in advertising. Alfred Liggins, CEO of Urban One, which owns Radio One, TV One, Clio TV, Boss Up, and those sites. Quote, I applaud GM for taking the results of their thoughtful and robust discussions with a significant number of diverse media entities and then developing this thorough, bold, and transformational plan to increase engagement with diverse media. Urban One is the leading platform to reach African-American and urban consumers, and we have been delighted with our long and successful partnership with GM. Today's announcement will allow our platforms and other diverse media groups to create unique and customized ways for GM to reach their customer base. Here's the next quote. The NNPA notes with appreciation a recent substantive discussion with General Motors Chairman and CEO Mary Barra and with other GM executives about establishing a strategic partnership between GM and the NNPA going forward today in 2021 and into the future, said Dr. Benjamin F. Chavis Jr., president and CEO of the NNPA uh, of the National Newspaper Publishers Association. The new GM action plan. 
the new GM action plan, including stated commitments to increase advertising spends with African-American-owned newspapers and other African-American-owned media is good news for black America. The NNPA represents 230 African-American-owned media companies, and we we reaffirm our 50-year-plus support from GM. Yet, the future looks much brighter today as a result of GM's new transformative commitments and engagement with African-American-owned media businesses. There are three words I have for these quotes from Alfred Liggins, Ben Chavis, and this entire plan from General Motors. This is bullshit. I don't want to mince any words here. This is bullshit. So let me explain. I, along with several others, signed a letter that was published by Byron Allen and the Detroit Free Press in major newspapers like the Wall Street Journal and Washington Post calling out GM for their black media spend. In the call that we had with Deborah Wall, because we were asking for a meeting with the CEO, Mary Barra, we called for a meeting. It was a Monday. They agreed to the meeting on that Thursday, but because the ad ran again on that Wednesday, the ad ran on a Sunday, we bet on Monday, because the ad ran in two other papers on that Wednesday, they canceled the Thursday meeting with us and CEO Mary Barra. They've yet to reschedule that meeting. Now we discover that Mary Barra does an end around to meet with Ben Chavis and the NNPA. That's interesting because after we had our meeting canceled with Mary Barra, that Thursday night, I called Ben Chavis and put him on a phone call with Byron Allen and Todd Brown. And we discussed not doing exactly with what Ben and NNPA did. And that is not to allow Jim to play the game of divide and conquer. On that phone call, Ben Chavis told us that GM used to spend in excess excess of $3 million a year with the black newspapers, and that number had dwindled down to almost a million dollars total for 230 black newspapers. On that phone call, we made clear to Ben that if we as black-owned media stick together as a collective, then we would be able to achieve even more money for all of black-owned media. The letter that was signed, Byron Allen, Todd Brown, um, it was signed by uh, it was signed by Butch uh, Graves of Black Enterprise, Don Jackson, also signed by uh, Junior Bridgman, uh, the new owner of Ebony, uh, Ice Cube, and I'm missing I'm missing one. Well, missing one. So it was it was seven of us, seven or eight of us who signed it. Okay, so we said that 
What we said, folks, was we said don't play divide and conquer because if they can play divide and conquer, I can give you a little bit. I'm going to give you a little bit more than you're getting, and now you're satisfied. I'm going to give you a little bit more than you're getting, and now you're satisfied. We know for a fact that General Motors drastically cut the spin they did with the American Black Film Festival owned by Jeff and Nicole Friday. Shortly after our call out of General Motors, all of a sudden, GM signs a new five-year deal with American Black Film Festival that they were touting on their Instagram page. I'm not done yet. In this statement here, it says that General Motors met with these diverse. Now, come back to the statement. It says, General Motors today announced significant changes to the company's model for partnering with diverse media, including diverse-owned and diverse-targeted media. Come back. In our discussions, we made clear to General Motors, we are not talking about diverse-owned and diverse-targeted. We're not talking about black-targeted. We're talking about black-owned. What that meant was, we said to General Motors, do not include black entertainment television, BET, in this discussion that we're having. Do not include the root in this discussion that we're having. Do not include um, uh, iHeart's Black Information Network, and I have a commentary on there, in that because they're black targeted. We said we are not talking about black targeted. We are talking about black owned. All throughout this statement, you see, number one, go back. GM has increased its overall diverse media spend, including doubling its commitment to, for spending with black-owned media to 2% in 2021. Did y'all see that? They're saying that they used to spend 1%. Based upon, and now they're spending 2%. Yay! Here's the problem. In the meeting that we had with General Motors, we said, you're spending $3 billion annually on marketing. We said, black-owned media is only getting about $10 million of the $3 billion. Deborah Wall told us our numbers were wrong. They said the $3 billion was wrong and the $10 million was wrong. We said, fine, correct the record. They said, oh, we can't because that's, that's competitive marketing uh, that will put us at a disadvantage. So they told us our numbers were wrong, but would not be transparent with the right number. So what does GM say? Oh, we're going to go from 1% to 2%. Ladies and gentlemen, do you realize that 1%, 1% of 3 billion comes out to be 30 million? They told us that the 3 billion number was wrong. Okay, so let's say it's 2 billion. That means that you were only spending $20 million with black owned media companies, and now you're saying, you're going to spend $40 million. You know what they have not done? 
shown us who the black media companies are and who's getting what. So we're supposed to trust you that you're actually spending 2%. I called a source very familiar with the actual budget of General Motors. I was told point blank that number is a lie. They're not spending that amount. Let me take it further. In this plan, GM announces that they're going to spend 4% by 2022. Go back to my uh, computer here. 4% by 2022 and 8% by 2025. Here's my question, General Motors. Why are you waiting four years to spend 8%? Why can't you spend 8% now? Let me inform all of my listeners and viewers who are watching. Black people buy 11.4% of all GM vehicles. GM moves, what, 7 million vehicles a year? I want you to listen to what I just told you. Black people are account for 11.4% of all vehicles sold by GM, but black-owned media was only getting 1%. Now GM is saying we at 2%, and we're going to be at 8% by 2025. That means that even by 2025, GM will be spending less money on black-owned media than the percentage of cars that black people are purchasing from General Motors. Explain to me how is that equitable? Let's go a little bit further. In the statement here, General Motors says that they came up with this plan by having meetings with diverse media companies. Ooh, let me let me help y'all all on this one. I was one of the people who signed the initial letter to General Motors. I was on that Monday call with Deborah Wall. Guess when General Motors scheduled their meeting with me? Next week, April 28th. Don't y'all find it strange that General Motors would announce this new plan that's been praised by Alfred Liggins at Urban One and Ben Chavis at the NNPA, but you're not meeting with one of the signatories of the letter which forced you to release this plan until next week. Todd Brown, who is launching HBCU League Pass, one of the signatories on the letter. They're not scheduled to meet with Todd until May 1st. So wait a minute. Are you telling me that General Motors put together a plan and announced all this great black plan and by the way, they also had not met with Byron Allen yet, which means three of the eight people who signed the letter they hadn't even met with. So exactly 
Who were these diverse people? Diverse folk they meeting with. In fact, they met with, they, they were supposed to meet with Todd on May 3rd. Okay, May 3rd. Let, let, me, let me further unpack this. The Detroit Free Press, I'm going to try to pull the article up here, did a story on this particular uh, plan. Uh, this is the headline right here. Uh, GM vows more money, more, more money, more opportunity for ad spend with black-owned media. It says Friday, GM revealed a new five-part plan. The result of a series of meetings between CEO Mary Barra and black-owned media representatives over the past three weeks that will offer better access to advertising dollars with GM. Y'all, here's the problem. According to this story, Mary Barra has been meeting with black-owned media representatives. She hasn't met with Byron Allen. She hasn't met with Roland Martin. She hasn't met with Todd Brown. Three of the eight. She hasn't met with Ice Cube. She hasn't met with Diddy. Who were the folks who called them out? Byron Allen, Todd Brown, Diddy, Ice Cube, Don Jackson, Junior Bridgman, Butch Graves. Y'all see what's going on right let me go further down in the article that I find to be uh, quite hilarious. It says in here, um, uh, and, and Byron is quoted uh, in here as well, uh, and, and y'all going to really get a kick out of this one um, in, in this article, um, is this right here. Jim's new plan was in part devised during an hour-plus-long Zoom meeting Monday between Ben Chavis Jr., CEO of the National Newspaper Publishers Association, his team, GM's Barra, and other senior leaders at GM, Chavis said. Chavis told the Free Press on Friday that Barra uh, offered, and you see the uh, 1.2 million here quoted, he told the Free Press on Friday that Barra offered detailed, measurable, and meaningful goals during the meeting. Y'all, detailed, measurable, and meaningful goals during the meeting. I told y'all that I personally called Ben Chavis and connected him on the phone with Todd Brown and Byron Allen when the GM canceled the meeting the first time. The free press is saying that Dr. Ben Chavis met with CEO Mary Barra and GM on Monday to come up with this plan. Today is Friday. Do y'all know when we found out about this plan? This morning, in an email from General Motors, Ben Chavis never called any of us. Ben never even told us that he was having a meeting with them. And they came up with this, never told us that they were devising this plan. We found out through General Motors. I'm really disappointed in that because we literally talked about this with Ben and we said to Ben, let's not play the divide and conquer game. Let's not let them do exactly what they did. Ben was on that call. Alfred Liggins is quoted in this article 
Since we put that letter out that was published, since we have gone public calling out General Motors and other companies, Alfred Liggins has never reached out to Byron Allen, Todd Brown, or me or any other signatories on that letter. I go back to the quote from Dr. King. We got to stick together. We were not calling out General Motors so we can get paid. We were calling out General Motors in every company in America so we can get paid. So here's what General Motors has now done. By putting out a press release, quoting Alfred Liggins, the CEO of Urban One, and quoting Ben Chavis, who heads the NNPA and his 230 black newspapers, what they're basically saying is, black people, we got this thing covered. We've already talked to the two most important black people from our perspective, so we're good. This is our plan. Let me go back to the money, people. In the meeting that we had with General Motors, we told them, you need to be spending at least 5% of your marketing budget annually with black-owned media companies. We put the figure at $200 million. That's 5%, y'all, of the uh, of, of, of the three billion dollars. That's what we laid out. We said, but we really said it should be 10 percent. So here's the real deal. Since black people are buying 11.4 percent of General Motors cars, we believe that black owned media, not black targeted, not have General Motors called diverse targeted. Which, which includes a lot of people. We said black owned. If black owned media got 300 million annually from General Motors. And this is what we said. I need y'all to listen to me clearly. We said to Deborah Wall, we want a 10 year contract to minimum 200 million a year with 5% escalators. That, mean, that means that the pool of money, at the pool of money, hear me? The pool of money that will be going to all black-owned media would go from the paltry 1% General Motors was spending to at least $200 million. Now, remember, General Motors said our numbers were wrong. So let me use $2 billion as the overall number. I need y'all to follow the numbers. I need y'all to see the game being played when they throw out percentages so we can go, oh my God, they doubled it. Imagine if General Motors were spending $2 billion a year marketing, and we said we should be getting 10% of the $2 billion. That means we will be getting $200 million. If they're spending 1%, that means we're only getting $20 million right now. That means that if the black-owned media companies, Alfred Liggins and Ben Chavis, had stuck with us, we collectively would have gone from, again, we don't trust their numbers because we believe the number is around 10 million, but let's just say it's 20. We as black owned media would go from 20 million in one year to 200 million in the same year. Let's just use General Motors numbers. Take 2 billion. They said they were doing 1%, now it's 2. That means they've gone, if they were doing, if they were doing two, 2 billion, that means they've gone from 20 million to 40 million in one year. 
Then they say we're going to go to 44% in 2022. That means they want to go from 40 million this year to 80 million in 2022. But then they want us to wait three more years. Y'all ain't paying attention. They want to go two to four percent in from 2021 to 2022. But then they want to wait three years to go from four to eight. That means that you want to go, you ain't using your numbers, you want to go from 10 million, from 20 million? And y'all want to take it to 8%? By 2025, why are we waiting four years? The black-owned media companies exist right now. We are here right now. I'm here. Byron's here. Todd's here. Essence is here. Junior Bridger and Ebony's here. Black Enterprise is here. Blavity is here. I I can go on and on and on. Y'all, we're all here right now. But see what General Motors wants us to do and go, whew, they want us to be like Alfred Liggins and Ben Chavis. Whew, boy, this is a great plan. No, 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 no. Game, recognize game, y'all. Let me take you back. Let me take you back. Let me go back to that plan. Let, let me un- further unpack this thing for you. Uh, look at this here. On May 14th, GM will hold a dedicated upfront with diverse media owners ahead of the traditional media marketplace. Y'all, what they're saying is we're going to have the real upfront where we spend the real money and we do a little summit over here for y'all. GM, if we're media companies and they're media companies, why aren't we in the same marketplace? Are you talking about GM creating a separate but equal marketplace? Or is this a separate but unequal marketplace? In here, I love this here. The summit will encourage existing and potential partners to submit an overview of their business for consideration by GM for deeper engagements beyond the summit, including a request for proposal. The process that will be used for the selection of media will be accredited by a third party to ensure fairness and transparency. Oh! Geno Motors, do y'all use a third party for white media? Is there a third party that y'all use when you go and meet with Complex and CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and GQ and others? Is a third party vetting them? So, so exactly why is there a third party 
to vet, quote, accredited media. Why, why do we need a third party? Hmm. Diverse Marketing Incubator Fund. GM is allocating $50 million over 10 years to support and scale diverse marketing companies. I'm sorry. Is that black-owned marketing companies? Because I recall in the letter that we published, we, we were very specific. Black-owned. This says diverse marketing companies. Y'all, this is the game that they play to freeze black-owned media out. They use phrases like diverse, BIPOC, black indigenous people of color or whatever that phrase, what the hell it even means. We, we, we know what black-owned is. We're real clear. And let me help y'all out. Y'all about to get blown out by this. Go back, go back, go back to the traditional media marketplace. Y'all see that right there? The traditional media marketplace? Guess how much money these, these agencies and businesses commit in the upfronts? 80% of their marketing budgets. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. 80%. Go back to here. So they commit 80% of their marketing budgets during these upfronts. Deals literally being signed. Oh, but they're going to give us a summit where we can submit proposals. But y'all ain't submitting for asking for proposals from the white-owned companies. Y'all cutting ad deals. So why isn't General Motors, General Motors going to cut ad deals on May 14th? Folks, this is what, this is why you negotiate as a collective. Because you come to the table with people who know how the game is played who know how they try to freeze us out of the marketplace, who they know how they try to freeze us out of the dollars. And that's what this plan is. This is a trash plan. And I don't care if Alfred Liggins is quoted in here. And I spent 13 years at TV One, 11 years at Tom Jonah, Reach Media owns, Radio One owns them. I don't care if Ben Chavis is quoted in there. I've run three black newspapers. Guess what? This is an awful deal. And let me say to all the black newspapers, by Ben Chavis agreeing to this, he's actually cost y'all more money. They were only spending 1.2 million. Ask him how much Jim is gonna spend more. Another million? Another million five? Had they negotiated with us as a collective, y'all could have got five to seven million. This is why you don't cut a separate deal from everybody else. This is why you fight for the collective. Our position to General Motors is we're not accepting 
2021 and 4 percent in 2022. And we're going to wait till 2025 for 8 percent. No. Spend 8 percent now. And that's what Alfred Liggins should have maintained. And that's what Ben Chavis should have maintained. Black people, I have told y'all, we've got to stop playing ourselves small. We got to stop letting somebody give us an extra crumb and we think that all of a sudden we're doing better than we were last time. This, folks, is an awful deal. And let me be clear to every single major company out there, do not try to use this General Motors plan as a model because this is a trash plan. This is grossly unacceptable. This is not going to allow black-owned media to be able to grow the way it needs to grow. This is not, talk, this is not increasing the pie. What this is doing is playing us small. And I say to the black senior executives and the black board members at, board members at General Motors, you should be telling Mary Barra and Deborah Wall, this is simply unacceptable. And just because you got two black people to sign off on this does not mean folks like me are going to sign off on this as well. So General Motors, I look forward to our meeting on April 28th. Don't come with this plan. Y'all better come with specifics. Because here's the deal. I'm not getting any money from y'all right now. So what the hell I got to lose? I'm going to bring in my panel right now. Michael Imhotep is the host of the African History Network show. Also joining us uh, is Xavier Pope, host of Suit Up, news owner of the Pope Law Firm, uh, and Candace Kelly, legal analyst, uh, start your morning uh, analyst with uh, Black News Channel. Um, what I've laid out here, Michael, is the games that corporate America plays with black people. Yep. How they like to do the end around and then mm -hmm. get black folks say, ooh, boy, this is a great plan. I love this. General Motors could be spending 8% this year. They don't want to. They're saying right. we'll wait four years to spend 8%. And guess what? If the black market share of cars bought GM cars bought dropped from 11.4% to 8%. Mm -hmm. Guess who will be guess who will be fired? A whole bunch of executives including Deborah Wall, the chief marketing officer. So they want us to keep buying GM cars, but they don't want to spend money with black owned media. I totally agree, Roland. I, I've been reading an article here from the Detroit Free Press about this. Uh, and I've lived here in Detroit all my life. So uh, yeah, the game recognizes game. You can't slick a can of oil. This is this is the game that they're running. They can go to they can go to eight percent right now. But when reading through the bullet points, uh, uh, the article from the Detroit Free Press lays out five key parts. As soon as they said diverse ownership, as soon as they said diverse ownership, I knew right then that they weren't serious. 
because the meeting that you had, you all were speaking specifically of Black-owned media. And having to have a summit on May 14th so that uh, leaders of companies with diverse ownership can then pitch their proposals, that doesn't even make sense. But but in this article, on page two of this article, Byron Allen called this what it is. He said it's a dog and pony show. And this is exactly what it is, okay? He said um, uh, GM, uh, GM showed Byron Allen the new plan Friday morning since he would not be meeting with Mary Barra until May. And he no, 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 no. Let me correct you. Let me correct you. General Mueller okay. did not show Byron the plan. I got okay. the email. I sent Byron the email. He wasn't even okay. aware of it. Go ahead. Okay, they, they, they reported this incorrectly in, in uh, uh, the article from Detroit Free Press, but he called the plan a dog and pony show. And he said GM is defending that they don't need to defend, they need to include, okay? He said going from $10 million of an ad spend to $20 million when you spend billions is not inclusive. Yeah, this is, this, this is garbage. But, but, but what happens is, is they think that they can pick off some of us and we go for this and they break up the, the unity. So, and the other thing is, by waiting to 2025 to go to 8%, they're probably hoping some of these, some of this black-owned media goes out of business. That's the other thing. Uh, uh, Candace, this, look, look, the reason we're putting this level of pressure, because this is why black-owned black media is dying, because we have been yeah. frozen out of the dollars. This is why I'm working with this, this group out of New Jersey, where billions are being spent in New Jersey and black people are not getting the private equity dollars. They're not getting the contracts. They're not getting any of those dollars. And so if we don't, as Dr. King said, learn to stick together, then this is the game that they always have played. Divide and conquer. Always. This is the Jim Crow of media agreements when you look at it. Because they really are saying separate but equal, right? Just as you said. And not only that, but they're going to put you through extra hoops. And this is what they do often. They put you through extra hoops in order for you to prove yourself, and you've already proven yourself. This is why Byron Allen sued Comcast and went all the way to the Supreme Court because there are companies that have to prove themselves just because they're black-owned. But he made his point. But even with going all the way to the Supreme Court and getting what he wanted, we are still dealing with this. And just like Michael said, in due time, because of the way that newspapers and media organizations often unfold, some of these uh, organizations may fail. And then they can say, well, that's one organization that we don't have to deal with anymore. Mary is someone who should lose her job. Why? Because she has not even returned calls. She has uh, stonewalled you and Byron and others, all the people who signed those letters, when she knows that not only is this a bad deal for you, but it's actually a bad deal for GM. Black folks are buying the cars already. Why not put the advertising dollars in the place where they can reach more black and brown people? Have they not seen the statistics that are out there? If you're five years old today, there are more black and brown people than not than people of non-color. And this is where we are going. So not only is this a bad deal for black folks, it's actually a bad deal for GM. It's a bad deal that GM has that woman in charge of the, of the marketing and opportunities that are there. Xavier, for people out there who might say, man, why are you making a big deal out of this? 
because this is the exact same thing as happening with law firms, with black-owned media, engineering firms, accounting firms, bond firms. We can go janitorial companies. This mm -hmm. is economic apartheid. What General Motors and all of these major corporations are practicing is economic apartheid where they want black people to keep buying their products, but they do not want to spend dollars with black owned companies. When I grew when I was growing up, uh, Roland, I thought that Sanford and Son was a black show. <laughs> I, 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 I'm seriously, I, there were all these different shows that I, I, I watched growing up with black characters, not realizing the, the the writing of those shows were white written, white white written or white owned, and so if we look at certain, you you talked about this really great when you talked about black targeted. We looked as the black audience that are buying cars. The the assumption is if we see black people in certain commercials or a certain positions, they're they're making you look cool or hip. We think that it's black owned, and so we 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 starve because we don't have the knowledge, and so. The, the individuals that are in a position to supposedly have knowledge, they have to be able to, and we have to be, be able to, as a member of Black Media myself, to be able to stick together and stay on the same page and do what other industries do, which is put pressure and lobby for their piece of the pie. So this is not you complaining. This is what other groups do every single day. And they, they do it in their own way, but they are doing this. They're knocking at the doors and giving me my piece of the pie, too. So this is not something that's that you're in a vacuum doing this in the in GM's offices at, at, at various points of, of contact. Those other companies, those quote unquote traditional medias, they're doing that, too. And diverse becomes diluted if we're talking about black. Bottom line, folks, uh, again, I'm not accepting this proposal at all. Uh, and so, GM, y'all can keep it. Y'all better go back to the drawing board. It's as simple as that. Uh, it's uh, grossly ineffective, uh, and, we're, and we're not going to sit idly by uh, and be quiet about it. Uh, I'm not getting excited about some $50 million over 10 years incubator fund that says diverse marketing companies. No, we're talking black-owned marketing companies, not diverse. Right. We're not talking right. about even, and why in the hell are you waiting until 8%? The goal of reaching, y'all, they didn't say we gonna hit 8% by 2025. The goal of reaching 8% by 2025, General Motors cannot answer today, why can't you do 8% now? Why? Mm -hmm. Why can't you do 8% right now with black owned? And we're not talking black targeted because money that goes to BET is going to Viacom CBS. Money right. that goes right. to Bounce TV is going to Scripps. Money that goes to Complex is going to Verizon. That's who it's going to. Money that's going to The Root is going to the white private equity company that owns The Root. Now, nah, we're talking what is black owned and we're clear. And, and Roland, you're still in deficit because don't know the real numbers. Right, and they won't give us a number. Mm -hmm. Candace, they told us, right. Candace, Deborah Wall told us our numbers were wrong. We said, fine, Deborah, give us the correct number. Oh, no, we, we can't do that. So, so we supposed to, and I, look, and I talked to someone who is very much in the know who said, Roland, the numbers they put out, that 2%, that 4 is wrong. Those numbers are flat out wrong. They will not put the dollar amount because they know it's so damn low. And Roland, if you look at the, the inner, if they're asking for proposals, guess whose numbers they're asking for? 
Yours? Yeah, but here's the yeah, right. And here's the deal, Candace. <laughs> when they ask for proposals, and I've been through this game, that's that's the recipe for rejecting us. Oh, y'all gonna jump through all these hoops? No, no, no. We game recognized game. Candace, go ahead with the final comment. Well, listen. Also, when it comes to the proposals, when those proposals are off by a little bit because there's so many rules and guidelines that you've messed up, they will they will count you out. This meeting that they are planning to have on the side, where we're not even included with the with what they consider the mainstream, should be boycotted. Should be boycotted. Yeah. Shouldn't happen. Folks, I'm going to keep you all abreast of what goes on. This is what we're fighting for uh, and the reason. Uh, this is the reason. I need you all to understand. This right here is the reason why Ebony was strangled. This is why Ebony had to file for bankruptcy. This right here is why Black Enterprise uh, is on vapors. They only exist because of their conferences. 90% of the money that Essence makes comes from the Essence Festival. You know why? Because we don't get the advertising dollars. This right here is why. And they love sending money to black targeted. And hey, I, I, J.C. Watts created a black news channel. But guess what? A Pakistani American billionaire is now the majority owner of black news channel. Black news channel is not black owned. It's black targeted. All I'm simply saying is this here. We want to be in a situation where we could create black billionaires who own media companies. But they want to strangle the dollars from us. And what we're saying to General Motors and every other corporation in America, y'all love black folks buying y'all products. Y'all going to spend with black owned media or we going to sit here and publish and discuss every single one of y'all. So the rest of y'all out there have better come up with some real plans because what GM put together is simply grossly unacceptable. We're going to break. When we come back. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the issue of voting in this country. We'll talk about the, uh, the leader of Black Lives Matter uh, in uh, Los Angeles. And also, craziness on the hill. Y'all want to hear a fool out of North Carolina, a black Republican, try to criticize the fight against voter suppression? Oh, I got something to say to you, Mark Robinson. That's next on Rolling Martin Unfiltered. I believe that it's movement time again. In America today, the economy is not working for working people. The poor and the needy are being abused. You are the victims of power, and this is the abuse of economic power. I'm 23 years old. I work three jobs. Work seven days a week. No days off. They're paying people pennies on the dollar compared to what they profit, and it is time for this to end. Essential workers have been showing up to work, feeding us, caring for us, delivering goods to us throughout this entire pandemic, and they've been doing it on a measly $7.25 minimum wage. The highest check I ever got was literally $291. I can't take it no more. You know, the fight for 15 is a lot more than about $15 an hour. This is about a fight for your dignity. We have got to recognize that working people deserve livable wages. And it's long past time for this nation to go to 15 so that moms and dads don't have to choose between asthma inhalers and rent. I'm halfway homeless. The main reason that people end up in their cars is because income does not match housing cost. If I could just only work one job, I could have more time with them. It is time for the owners of Walmart, McDonald's, Dollar General, and other large corporations to get off welfare and pay their workers a living wage. 
And if you really want to tackle racial equity, you have to raise the minimum wage. We're not just fighting for our families, we're fighting for yours too. We need this. I'm going to fight for it until we get it. I'm not going to give up. We just need all work to stand up as one nation and just fight together. Families are relying on these salaries and they must be paid at a minimum $15 an hour. $15 a minimum anyone should be making this to be able to stay out of poverty. I can't take it no more. I'm doing this for not only me, but for everybody. We need 15 right now. TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Since 2012, hundreds of people have been fatally shot by or died in the custody of L.A. County police officers. One of those victims is Gretario Mack. Mack was shot multiple times by officers in the middle of a mall amid a health crisis. None of the officers have faced any charges. Activists are rallying to combat L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti's proposal to increase the LAPD's spending by 3%. Joining me now uh, is uh, Quintus Moore. Uh, he is uh, Quintus Moore, sorry, the father of Gutario uh, Mack, Quintus Moore, and Melina Abdullah, Black Lives Matter Los Angeles. Certainly glad to have uh, both of you here. And certainly, um, Mr., uh, first, Mr. Moore, we're sorry for, for your loss. Uh, Melina, I want to start with you increase the spending of the LAPD by 3%? Most people have no idea that most of these major cities, 30 to 40% of the entire city budget is going to police departments. Right. Well, in Los Angeles, it's actually far worse than that. We're spending 53% of the city's general fund on LA police, LAPD. Um, so that means those are dollars that are not going to housing, that are not going to health care, that are not going to mental health resources. And Mr. Quintus will talk about how Grishario Mack was having a mental health issue and asked for help. Had mental health resources been available instead of LAPD coming in with, quote unquote, every gun blazing in the uh, words of one witness, then we'd have this father of two still with us. So it's absolutely unthinkable that the mayor of the city who claims to be a liberal continues to increase the budget of LAPD when we know that they are one of the most murderous law enforcement units in the entire nation and absolutely one of the most corrupt um, who now have a we actually won a restraining order against LAPD based on their brutality. Where do you get a restraining order against the police? But they're so corrupt, so brutal, so violent that that's what we had to do is seek court intervention. Uh, Mr. Uh, Morris, uh, speak to that, uh, because what we're seeing, we're seeing this reckoning all across this country. Uh, when it comes to police departments, when it comes to uh, spending, you've got folks who are like, oh, you shouldn't be saying defund the police department. No, what we're saying is stop sitting here increasing the spending on the cops. Shift those resources to mental health professionals, to social workers, uh, the folks who don't show up and automatically shoot to kill. Uh, I think I think you're on mute. I think you're on mute. So just unmute your, uh, unmute your uh, computer. Uh, keep talking. Uh, he's still on mute. 
uh, control room. Can y'all please uh, work this out? Uh, see what's going on here, Melina. I want to go to uh, Melina. I want to go to you to that point right there again. How we spend the resources? Okay, there we go. There we go, Mr. Mr. Moore. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Um, now we well, got first, you. Go, go ahead. First of all, I know uh, you know some police officers. Um, the sheriff's department in L.A. They go to to the academy for four months. LAPD, the officers go to the academy for seven months. Um, mental health workers and therapists and psychologists, they go to school for what, four years or more? And these officers, um, they train them so, so, so many months with weapons, so many months with something else, something else, something else. And they, they're not equipped or trained to do um, mental health crisis work or the, um, a lot of them can't even handle domestic violence. Um, issues. So we need those funds to go to people who know what they're doing when there are situations that call for mental health, um, you know, help. And the police officers aren't equipped. They're trained to kill. They're supposed to apprehend, but as we've seen across this country, what they're doing is killing. And in the case of my son, he was having a mental crisis in a, in a public crowded mall in the daytime with thousands and thousands of shoppers, men, women, and children. And my son was having a mental crisis. He had a, he had a little kitchen knife with him. Like we used to carry pocket knives back in the day. He had a little kitchen knife. He was, he was um, paranoid. And he asked the security guard and some of the patrons in the mall said, why don't you call the police? They said, no, if we call the police. We know what might happen. And that's what exactly what happened. My son asked the security guard for help. The security guard said, okay, I'll get you some help. She went to call her dispatcher, not the police. And she said, there's a gentleman in the mall. He's a young man. He's, he has a little kitchen knife, but he's having some mental issues. And he's asking for help. Could you send someone over to help him? Um, the dispatcher hung up, immediately called LAPD in a frantic tone of voice. There's a black man in the mall with a knife. And LAPD rushed over like gangbusters. Uh, witnesses said they came in like Navy SEALs. My son was already paranoid and scared. So when they started yelling at him and training all these guns on him, he immediately started running for his life. And he had every right to, to do that because we know what happened. And as he ran, they started shooting him in the back. And, you know, the back of the leg, the back of the arm, in his, in his buttocks. He fell. He got up. This is the first time. He got up. He started running again. They shot him some more. He fell again for the second time. My son got up, and people are screaming at to the top of their lungs while all this is going, in, going on. They shot up GameStop where kids were shopping. They shot up TJ Maxx to play glass window out. They shot a glass railing out that fell to the bottom where people were shopping. Uh, people were running around screaming, hollering, grabbing their babies and, and baby clothes. It, it, it was just, it was, it was surreal. And um, as my son got up for the third time and started running, they shot him in the back of his leg. He fell again, rolling for the third time laid there in a fetal position in a puddle of blood. But thanks to Black Lives Matter, we were able to get an independent autopsy. All of those first seven, six or seven shots were non-life-threatening. My son would have still lived. But, you know, the knife had fell, no longer deemed a threat. He was not, never a threat. The police were the threat. They shot like 15 times in the mall. Seven or eight of the bullets hit my son. They were the threat. And as he lay there in the fetal position, they walked over point blank range and shot him in the chest and killed him after he asked for help.
And so um, I know Billy Holiday had that song, Strange Fruit. There's a lot of strange fruit going on in L.A. And L LAPD and the Sheriff's Department are the most corrupt law enforcement agencies in, in, in America. And that L-E-O-B-R, the Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights, I know they took it down in Maryland. They need to get rid of it out here. These police associations are taking up for these cops. They're enabling them to do what they do, and they need to be dismantled. And um, if we commit a crime, we go to jail, they take us immediately to an interrogation room. The cops, due to these um, associations, they get to go take a week's vac paid vacation, get their lives straight, and, get, and try to get their lives together. And um, while they're getting paid, and they just, they give them lawyers. They can't be personally sued. They have a fund for that. So, you know, it's just, they're just enabling them. And the, and, and the last thing I want to say, Martin, is that when we all got together and went to Sacramento for the um, AB392, the accountability bill, I remember one of the police association officers, he was on the, um, the con side. There was thousands and thousands of pros, but this one guy was on the con side. He was a cop. And they ask him, what do you have to say to fight, you know, this bill from, you know, to keep this bill from passing? I'll never forget. He said, if this accountability bill passes, we'll have a hard time getting new recruits. Uh, Milana, that is just uh, unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But it's believable because that's what happens and that's why. And I think Mr. Moore was really just um, really brilliant in presenting why we have to push back against these police associations that pretend to be unions but are not unions. We have to remember that unions, I'm a member of a labor union, I'm an educator. Um, Mr. Moore is also an educator and a member of a labor union. Unions are not only about um, trying to push for the best salary and benefits for it, their members. They're about solidarity with working class people. Well, the police associations don't care about other working class people. They only care about the very narrow interests of their members. And so it's really important that we think about the role of these police associations. They're the ones who paid for the defense for the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, Kim Potter, who stole the life of Dante Wright, was a president of her police association. And so as Mr. Moore is sharing, one of the things that we have to recognize as we push for accountability and push for something greater than accountability, push for justice, we have to recognize who our opposition is and do everything that we can to fight back against that opposition. So for us, what that means is ousting police associations from the House of Labor. They don't have any business in the same room as Mr. Moore and I. Um, we have to end the special rights like the Police Officers' Bill of Rights, like qualified immunity. And then something that you pointed to at the beginning, Roland, is, you know, it's police associations that are jockeying for, lobbying for, but also bullying and bribing elected officials so that they can continue to gobble up these massive shares of the cities and counties' public funds. And so what we have to do is recognize that they are our opposition, and we have to really pull the 
fangs out of police associations and render them really useless so that we can move forward in what's in the best interests of our people. And that means protecting the life of Grishario Mack and doing good work in his name. Um, that means moving police out of mental health calls, moving police out of traffic stops in the name of people like Dante Wright, and really advancing the things that the community needs things like mental health resources and good jobs and reentry programs and housing. Um, Mr. Moore, a final comment from you. What, what do you want the folks who are watching and listening to do? Well, we want um, to, like Sister Melina said, to end these associations, get rid of the law enforcement officers, Bill of Rights. The chief out here, the, the LAPD chief, Michael Moore, said he couldn't fire a cop if he wanted to because of the um, power that they have. The police commission uh, found what those cops did to my son out of policy, yet nothing has been done to them at all. And one more thing, Roland, I wanted to leave you with. We all saw the movie Training Day. That co The cops that stopped that guy at the gas station, the, 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 the Army veteran, the Army officer, that guy who, who did that to them was a training officer. The one, the one who shot Dante Wright, she was a training officer. The one who killed George Floyd, he was training those other officers that helped him kill George Floyd. The, and they always want to cry, we need more training, we need more training. But look what the training officers are training them to do. Make a great point, sir. Both of you, I appreciate your work. Uh, please let us know what more we can do, and we'll look forward to having you back. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us, Roland. Thanks a bunch. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much. Folks, in Virginia, another unarmed black man shot by police. 32-year-old Isaiah Brown is in intensive care with 10 bullet wounds, and his family is demanding answers. The frightening story took place in Spotsylvania County, where authorities say a deputy gave Brown a ride home after his car broke down at a gas station. The deputy, who was white, told Brown's family that he was not in trouble. But when Brown called 911 for an alleged domestic dispute shortly after, the same deputy returned and opened fire. The family is confused as to why the officers shot Brown. Virginia State Police are investigating the matter. Let's go to North Carolina. The family of a black man killed by a sheriff's deputy is demanding officials release the body cam footage of the police encounter that killed Andrew Brown. <coughs> On Wednesday, sheriff's deputies were attempting to arrest Brown at his home in Elizabeth City. According to Brown's family, he exited the house to his vehicle unarmed, where he tried to drive away as police fired shots at his car. Now, local civil rights leaders say the release of the footage is for transparency. If the sheriff's department fails, if the district attorney office fails to release that body camera to provide the transparency that this community needs to move forward, <clears throat> then we cannot build trust, and therefore, justice cannot be done. None of the officers involved have been identified, but all of the officers who were at the scene have been placed on administrative leave. The North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation is investigating the incident. Let's go to Michigan. The Grand Rapids Police Department may be facing a lawsuit after a traffic stop about littering turned violent. Body camera footage of the March 26th incident has been circulating online revealing this disturbing encounter. Folks, look what happened when Diabody, Diabody Hood tries to exit the vehicle on the passenger side. Watch this. I didn't do nothing! 
Stop resisting. I'm not resisting. Stop You're grabbing, grabbing me. at him. Stop grabbing me. Guys doing all right? Yep. Uh, yep. Stop, man. Just stop, bro. He pushed me. No, I got stop. pepper spray. Pepper no, spray. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Relax, bro. Relax. Relax. The video clearly shows Grand Rapids officers, folks, punching Hood in the face while he's on the ground. Police say they found four weapons inside the vehicle and all three men in the car were arrested on felony charges. The Grand Rapids Police Department says the stop was reviewed by supervisors and members of the department's training unit and found no malice. Mm. In Georgia, the ex-Atlanta cop who shot and killed Rayshard Brooks wants his job back. Currently facing murder charges, Garrett Rolfe and his attorney appeared before a city board requesting to be reinstated as an Atlanta police officer. The chief of police or their designee will, not may, will ensure that a completed notice of proposed adverse action is issued to the employee in person or by certified mail. Did I read that accurately? Yes, you did. So based on your previous testimony, it was Chief Shields' obligation to make sure that Officer Rolfe received a copy of the notice proposed adverse action in person or by certified mail, correct? Correct, according to the document, correct. Now then we look at number two, there should be at least five working days between the date of the notice of proposed adverse action was issued and the date scheduled for the employee response session, correct? Correct, that's what's stated on the document, correct. Because we're gonna, if we're gonna give an employee and they have a right under the ordinances to give an employee response session, they have to have an opportunity to appear and they have to have an opportunity to prepare, correct? We've already established that. Correct. Well, June 13th, 2020 was a Saturday, right? Right? Uh, I'm not sure what day it was. Okay, well, you can take my word for it. It was a Saturday. <laughs> and you said that everybody was in meetings, right? We, we were in various meetings that, that day, in and out of meetings, correct? A lot going on, right? Definitely. So did somebody tell you the chief was too busy to put her signature on a piece of paper and meet with Officer Rolf? Did someone tell me that? Um, chief and I were in, in, in the room, and I was asked to sign that, that document. Garrett Rolf wasn't in the room, though, was he? No, he was not. So five working days meant you were required to give Rolf until Friday, June 19th to have his employee response session, right? Yes. And five days to prepare as opposed to, let's say, an hour with no preparation, correct? It's, it states five days. And if you don't have an opportunity to respond, then the policy has been breached, correct? That would be your argument. Yes. Rolf and his attorneys say he should be reinstated because he wasn't given enough time to respond to the notice of proposed adverse action before being fired. Officers are usually given five to 10 days to respond. Of course, he testified he was fired the day after Brooks' death. Let's go back to our panel here. So I'm talking about all of these police cases. And again, when you stack them one behind the other, uh, what you see here, Candace, is pattern. It's pattern. 
when we had the mayor of Columbus on here, we talked about the contracts, how they're prohibited from firing. One of the fundamental areas is when the level of protection these police officers have is unbelievable. This is the exact same thing that we continue to see with former officer, now convicted felon, Derek Chauvin. Because now they're looking at his record and, and, and his arrest that we already knew about, that the jury didn't know about, to find out whether or not he can be charged. The Department of Justice is on this. This is because these changes needed to be made. And, 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 and um, uh, the, uh, the, the former guest, he certainly had a point by saying a lot of people trained to do this, not just from the beginning in terms of the training from the beginning, but then they train officers, right? It's training day, as you said, this was in Washington. A good case study to look at is what's going up uh, on in Ithaca, New York, how they are rechanneling their resources in order to make sure uh, that, like Melinda said, that we have misdemeanors or low-level offenses not being tested by people with guns. You just need somebody to go in and sometimes diffuse the situation when somebody has mental health issues. It's something that's going on in Ithaca, New York. Uh, the whole council approved it. It's something that they are carrying out so that you have people who are just civilians, who are part of the process, people who are already trained in mental health, to come in and take some of these positions. You don't always need mostly men with guns at the helm to take care of, of you know, a traffic stop. You don't need it. People ask us all the time, why do y'all keep showing these videos? Why do you keep talking about it? It's because now with video, people are now seeing how widespread and rampant this is. And we have to keep it in folks' face and not let them somehow say, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, I mean, we also look at the fact that we had the last guest in LA there are $245 million that has been spent on police-related misconduct in L.A. alone in the last five and a half years. And that's a third of what the city pays out in its liability, period. And so this is not only an issue in terms of what's happening with police officers, but it's, it's an expenditure of, of our money, taxpayer money, number one. Number, number two, the transparency of matching what those settlements mean to the training and saying you're falling short of the training if the city is spending $245 million. What other industry do you know that your industry itself is spending $245 million and it's not being the, the, the way that the union is being negotiated with changes? And then also the transparency in terms of how does it look when you have low-level offenses, we saw this with the, the chief of Minnesota, Minneapolis police, uh, Arredondo, state that the $20 issue with, with George Floyd in terms of him getting, losing his life and a conviction of Derek Chauvin should have never even happened in the first place. And so we have all these interactions with law enforcement that are going way overboard. We saw the, the Supreme Court ruled in Tennessee versus Garner, you can't shoot a suspect in the back. So it's not just the, the issue with mental health services, is if there is an issue, you shouldn't be shooting people in the back in the first place. Michael. Um, you know, Roland, this case here in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, I read the reporting from WXYZ Channel 7 here in Detroit, as well as Wood TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, 
you know, it, it's a, it's a really it's a disturbing case. Um, uh, number one, they said they recovered four weapons from the car, but in reading the reporting from the two sources, neither one said that the weapons were illegal weapons. Nothing said that the weapons were illegal weapons. Now, they've been—the uh, stop ended with three felony arrests, and, and, and none of the reporting does it say the felony arrests were for illegal weapons. Right. So, so uh, and then Tyrone Bynum is the attorney representing uh, the three men, and, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, you can reach out to them and get them on to interview him, because this is a really strange case. Uh, Tyrone Bynum said that the punching of uh, uh, Diabate uh, 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 while Diabate was on the ground, he said that's excessive force. They told him to stop resisting, but he's, he's trying to cover up his face because you keep punching him and punching, punching him in the eye. Now, he was charged with trying to uh, take one of the officer's weapons. I don't know if he actually did it or not, but you know, this is... This is uh, this is strange. You know, reading the reporting on this and watching uh, some interviews dealing with this, this is a strange case here. Uh, it is. Uh, and look, we're just going to keep uh, keep focusing on this. Uh, but the bottom line is this here, people. Uh, look, the momentum is there. The pressure has right. to stay there. It has to be constant. We can't just go, hey, Chauvin found guilty. It's all good. No, we've got to keep, the, as Maxine, Congresswoman Maxine Waters says, you got to keep right. the pressure there to change these laws. Yes, the Maryland legislature overrode the veto of the governor, getting rid of that officer's bill of rights. It has to happen in other states as well if we're going to see uh, any substantive change. Let's go to Iowa, where a woman accused of running over a 12-year-old black boy and a 14-year-old Latina girl has pled guilty to all charges. During her court appearance Wednesday, Nicole Marie Poole pled guilty to several hate crimes connected to the December 2019 incident in Des Moines, Iowa. She also pleaded guilty to the attempted murder charges filed against her for hitting the kids. Poole said she struck the young girl because she is a Mexican and hit the boy because she believed he was an Islamic State terrorist. She is facing a life sentence. Folks, got to go to break. We come back. Let's talk about voting rights in this country. How even Republicans are real good at putting up clueless black Republicans to parrot their talking points, which will simply blow away next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. You see what's happening. It's not just in Georgia. It's here in Florida and in 43 states across the country. Last year, I had my voting rights restored with an assist from the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. I did it for myself, but also for my future. Having children, I realized I could make a difference. So I got my voting rights restored, got registered to vote, and I got my vote in through the Postal Service since I was working out in California during the football season. Now they're trying to undo that. And the hard work of so many others. They're taking away drop boxes, making it hard to vote by mail. And they're still trying to make returning citizens pay for a poll tax just to vote. Now that we know what they're trying to do, let's stop them. Here's how. Call your legislators. Call your members of Congress. And start by signing our petition at morethanavote.org slash protect. The fight is not over. It's just getting started. Help us help you and protect our power. Hi, I'm Kim Burrell. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, everybody. This is Sherry Shepard. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Fighting Republican voter suppression has been a major issue for a number of years, but especially since 
2020 election when Republicans just lied about the results led by that idiot Donald Trump. Now, Congress has not reauthorized Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, of course, took, that took place after the Shelby v. Holder decision uh, was gutted Section 4 of the Voting Rights Act. And so as a result, states have been doing whatever they want. Thursday, the House Judiciary Committee held a hearing called Oversight of the Voting Rights Act, the Evolving Landscape of Voting Discrimination. Remember, Dr. William J. Barber testified on the importance of the Voting Rights Act while Idiotic North Carolina's first black, black lieutenant governor, Republican Mark Robinson, says he is tired of his, quote, race being used to push a liberal agenda when it comes to voting rights. <laughs> Y'all hit play. Remember, in North Carolina, the law was tried under the courts, the Supreme Court, a majority Republican, and the Supreme Court, and a three-panel federal district um, um, court said that what they did after the Shelby decision was a monstrous voter suppression, surgical voter suppression, intentional voter suppression. This is not hyperbole. This is not about semantics. And it's not just about photo ID. They attempted to eliminate same-day registration, pre-registration of 16 and 17-year-olds out of uh, uh, precinct ballots the first week of early voting and instituted one of the nation's most stringent photo ID. And we did not have a conversation about it. The courts looked at it under the microscope of the Constitution after the Shelby decision and said, this is surgical. This is intentional racism. That's what the court said and, that, and, and showed that we need pre-clearance, and there should be no fear of pre-clearance. If you're not discriminating, you would not be afraid of the pre-clearance portion of the voting rights. Thank you, Reverend. If you could uh, help me understand, was the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments of the United States Constitution passed and moved by Republicans or Democrats? Right, and was the movement to, be my, put your microphone on, sir. Uh, was that would be Republicans. Was the move for the 64 Civil Rights Act and 65 Voting Rights Act led heavily by Republicans or Democrats? That, that would be Republicans. And so as we sit here today, and as we're being accused by many of our colleagues on the other side of the aisle of wanting to somehow perpetuate the Jim Crow South, when in fact what we're trying to do is perpetuate laws that you can believe in that you've so eloquently discussed, do you see any merit in that whatsoever? Absolutely not. And just can I, if I have a moment just to add something. Uh, you know, when you talk about that history, uh, that history is clear. Who stood on which side at every turn in history? It is clear. It's not even in dispute. And it's not in dispute now. What we want is integrity. We, we don't want power. We want integrity. We want the right thing to be done. We want to encourage citizens to be responsible. We want to have the best election system in the world. In the world. Third world countries, places like India where the poverty rate is staggering. They have to show that finger when they go vote. It's time that we modernize our election system in this country and stop playing all these silly games based on race. And please, stop using me as a black man as your pawn. And yes, I said it, to push your agenda. I'm sick of it. It happened a long time ago in this country, and I'm tired Chairman, of it. Chairman, I would uh, ask that the witness answer the question. It's time has expired. Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I just have a unanimous consent request for, to insert something in the record. Unanimous consent to insert something in the record. Consent request. You've already said that we would we could enter that in the record. You said it in your opening, Mr. Chairman. What what changed? 
Johnson, can you hear me? So we're not going to answer Johnson. something in the record? So we Republicans can't enter anything minutes. in the record. I'm just so the chair, clarification. the chairman doesn't want us to be able to insert stuff in the record? Maybe in a few minutes, but not right now. Oh, because, okay. Because when I had my time closing, I didn't want to insert it at the time inserted when I spoke. Mr. Johnson, we're going to go in proper order. You're recognized for five minutes. Well, this is a great way to run a hearing. You know what? I, I really get a kick out of the convenient uh, games being played there, Candace. Well, well, if you look at the history, uh, the history is clear. R Republicans love talking about 1865, it's clear the federal courts ruled that Republicans in North Carolina had a laser light targeting of black voters to keep them from voting. It's no lie with five federal courts ruled that Texas's voter ID law was discriminatory against black people and Latinos. And so my deal is you can run uh, you can run Uncle Festa up there. Uh, and he repped down by, I'm the y'all, I'm sitting here, I'm tired of being a pawn. How about not being a pawn? <laughs> you know, this is a reminder of the power that black people have. And this is why they are coming undone at the scene. This is why they're so upset. They don't want to live in 2021. Because 2021, when you look out your window, looks like you and me. Right? And you and I are in the line to go vote. It's, it's very interesting that they are using this time to finally change the laws. All of a sudden, these laws have, some of these laws have been on the record for 15 years, but as soon as the vote is played against them, they decide to change it. Clearly, clearly, we are seeing what is going on here. I don't see why it's falling on deaf ears of. of of this man who testified. But clearly, we see the pattern, like you said. This is something that we know is getting on their nerves because we have the power, and it's something that we have to continue to fight, or else we're going to append the next voting election. The only reason they are trying to change the laws, Michael's, because they lost. <laughs> That's it. I mean, we, we, we can sit and dance around all we want to. That's the right. only reason they lost. If they did not, if Ossoff and Warnock had not won Georgia, if Biden and Harris had not won in Georgia, if they had not won in Arizona or Pennsylvania, they would not be trying to change the law. We all know that. Well, you know, Roland, this is, um, this, this plays into the Senate hearing, Senate Judiciary hearing that took place on Tuesday when uh, Senator uh, uh, John Kennedy of Louisiana got his behind spank by uh, Stacey Abrams, okay? And she broke down what's wrong with Georgia Senate Bill 202. But uh, Mr. Roy in the House of Representatives, he wanted to talk about history. And he wanted uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson to co-sign. But see, Republicans only want to deal with one side of history. They never want to talk about the Compromise of 1877. When, when Republicans conspired with Democrats 
so that uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican candidate of the 1876 presidential election, could become president, the Republicans agreed to remove the troops out of the, the Union troops out of the South that were protecting the rights of the uh, newly freed slaves to a certain extent, because that's what the Democrats wanted. They don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about the Lily White movement in 1928 when the Republicans wanted to get Herbert Hoover elected as president. So they appealed to Southern segregation as Democrats and five former Confederate states to get them to vote for Herbert Hoover, and he became president. And then, he, and then Mr. Roy talked about 1964 Civil Rights Act, but he doesn't want to talk about Barry Goldwater of Arizona, who ran for president in 1964, who was a Republican and who was against civil rights. And he doesn't want to talk about the party realignment that took place because Democrat, many Southern segregationist Democrats left the Democratic Party, and where'd they go? They went to the Republican Party. You're dealing with a different Republican Party, and you're dealing with a different Democratic Party than you were dealing with before that party realignment. So they don't want to deal with that history. Run that on somebody that doesn't understand history. But, Xavier, the thing here is they don't want to deal with what's happening today, and they don't want to deal with being called out. And the bottom line is they are specifically targeting black young voters and others because they're trying to use the law, trying to get rid of uh, drive-in voting, curbside voting, trying to get rid of same-day registration. They are trying all of a sudden, oh, only one ballot drop box in Georgia. Let's not have it outside. Let's move it inside so you can only drop your ballot off when, when, when the hours over. We know the game here, and it's all been laid by Republicans, period. All Republicans. All Republicans, the big deal in Georgia that we're not talking enough about mm -hmm. is that the change to the bill is any one person can make a mass challenge and now there has to be a hearing of individual voters in that state. Where uh, we saw in the runoff election, there were you know, significant challenges, but a lot of different counties, they didn't have to actually to respond to those challenges because they were ridiculous. Now they're required to, or they'll be sanctioned by the state. So you can have one, who, you, who do you think they're going to be targeting, the one person of mass challenges in those states? Black people. And so what we're going to, but it's, they've been really bold with their, their rhetoric. So mm -hmm. getting their bold rhetoric on the books in terms of how they talk about black people can also be used in, in cases against them. So speak up. Be as racist if y'all want to be. Be as ignorant if y'all want to be, because that will be go on record. So that could be used in lawsuits, just like it was in North Carolina, to be able to strike down the laws in that state. Uh, and speaking of North mm -hmm. Carolina and Greensboro, a white member of the zoning commission has been removed for refusing a black resident's request to be addressed by her doctoral title during a televised meeting. Tony Collins got into a tense exchange with Dr. Carrie Rosario, an associate professor at UNC Greensboro during a four-hour zoning commission meeting. Dr. Rosario expressed concerns about a development project near her home. Described as a very disrespectful exchange by city councilman Sharon Hightower, Collins insisted he was not trying to disrespect Dr. Rosario. Decide for yourself. We're here to approve the standards that have been presented. And if Mrs. Rosario has something about one of it's those Dr. Standards, Rosario. Thank you, sir. If Mrs. Rosario has something Do about Dr. One Rosario. Of, well, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. Your name okay. says on here, Carrie Rosario. Hey, Carrie. Mm -hmm. um, it's Dr. You got, Rosario. You got something I would call you Tony, me. so please, sir, uh, yeah. call me as I would like to be called. That's how I'm identifying. It, it doesn't really matter. We're here it to matters to me. Tony. 
it matters to me. And I'm, out of I'm respect, sorry. I would like you to call me by the name that I'm asking you to call me by. Thank you. Your screen says Carrie Rosario. I'm verbalizing anyway, my name is Dr. Carrie Rosario. And it really speaks very negatively of you as a commissioner to be disrespectful. Colin has reportedly apologized in a voicemail. What say you, Candace? <laughs> it's the same thing that we've been talking about other night, uh, all night. Whether you're talking about media contracts or voting rights or anything else, some white people just don't want to give you the power that you have worked for and deserve. This mm -hmm. is a woman who, you know, some people are, are of this argument that if you are not a medical doctor, that you do not deserve that title. But it doesn't matter. You get your doctorate when you when you graduate from graduate school, right? And as a result, you can be called that. It is your option to be called that. Clearly, clearly, he did not want to regard her as anything that was above him. And that's exactly what was going on. As many times as she asked, he said, I'm going to disrespect you as a woman, a black woman, a doctor, everything that you bring to the table, and I'm not even going to listen to you. What happened is what should have happened. He should have left, been fired, been relieved, However, the result, however the process was, the result was right. He is gone. Michael? Uh, you know, brother, this is uh, the third white man I know of that got his behind whipped by a black woman about the past week. Uh, Jim Jordan got his behind kicked twice. Uh, Representative Maxine Waters told him, shut your mouth. Then Representative uh, Val Demings of Florida went off on him when he tried to check her about law enforcement, and she... Uh, serving in law enforcement for 27 years. Then uh, Senator John Kennedy just got his behind beat by Stacey Abrams on Tuesday, and then this took place. You know, so you 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 have some uh, you have some white men that feel threatened by intelligent African Americans, educated African Americans, especially African American women. So they better get used to it because we're not going away. Uh, they, it's white people that have a negative birth rate, not us. Well, I, I didn't understand it, Xavier. The woman, she said, doctor. And I'm like, how hard is it? No, he just decided to be an ass. I kept saying, by, by, by miss, and then I'm just going to call you Carrie. He said, your, your mama called you Clay, named you Clay, because I'm going to call you Clay. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's the approach that he tried to take. And, and she was not having it. And we need more black people that will stand in the rightfulness in their own blackness. And when he tried to come to her is, who do you think you are? And she says, this is who I am. So that's who you're going to call me. Um, more props to her. <laughs> All right, folks. Elementary school has apologized after lesson plan incorrectly states enslaved Africans came to America by choice. <laughs> the first year fourth grade teacher used first lesson plans from an unapproved website as a source for educational materials. The worksheet was about slavery in colonial America and asked four questions, one of which was, why did slaves come to America? It provided a fill-in-the-blank answer that read, as an exchange for the trip to America, African-Americans agreed to work for colonists for X number of years, but then were kept as slaves. Another question asked what jobs were done by enslaved people. It offered the answers, uh, butter and blank around the house. Michael Pirro, the Pittsburgh Central School District, released the following statement. It was brought to our attention this morning that in January, a worksheet was used in a fourth grade class lesson on slavery during colonial times. 
The worksheet was in no way an accurate depiction of slavery during colonial times and was highly insensitive in tone. We immediately met with the staff members involved in the lesson and have taken steps to remedy the situation. This will include a reteaching of the topic of slavery during colonial times and remove the worksheet from student notebooks while providing them with correct factual information on the subject. Furthermore, we are working with our fourth grade teachers across the district to be sure this worksheet is not being used in any of the any other classrooms. I would like to thank the parent who brought this to our attention. We have reached out to them in order to make a full apology for the use of this worksheet. We have also reached out to the parents of the entire class to share this error and apologize for it. I'm just trying to understand, uh, actually, so this is the rest. This situation reinforces the significance and importance of working with our staff with regard to high-quality resources, ongoing professional development, and culturally responsive, sustaining educational practices. This is something we take seriously and are continue to continue to continuous improvement. Uh, first of all, I'm just trying to understand something, Xavier. Why the hell are you using worksheets out of the class when you got approved materials in class? You on mute. That's that's what she wants to reinforce. We got it, Roland. we got it, we got it. Yeah, I mean, Roland, that's what that's what the teacher wanted to reinforce. Really? If if that's your objective is to teach kids racist nonsense, then that's what she's going to get across and hopefully it gets across. Did you start this show and start out with saying this is some bull? Mm, that's this is some bull. Being <laughs> simple and simple. Uh, it just—it's crazy to me. Uh, it's just—it's it's beyond laughable to me. All right, y'all in Greenville, Texas, pending an investigation, elementary school teachers on leave for sending a parent a picture of her foot on a black boy's neck. The teacher texts this photo to Zaylene Jackson's mother shortly after the verdict of Der Derek Chauvin. The student and his mother believe the teacher sent the picture as a joke, but Jackson's aunt does not see it as a joke. The aunt. LaCadrian Jackson alleges the teacher said she would put her foot on the boy's neck if he didn't stop misbehaving in class. When the boy and other students said she wouldn't, he got down on the ground and took the photo. The Greenville Independent School District released a statement saying, Dear Greenville ISD families, Tuesday, a highly upsetting picture depicting a black student with a foot on his neck was posted and circulating on social media. Upon learning about this, we immediately contacted the family to check on the student to ensure his well-being. We will continue to be in touch with the family to be sure the student feel, feels and sa feels safe on campus. Our human resources department immediately contacted the employee who staged the picture. We'll take the situation very seriously. It will be thoroughly investigated and appropriate action will be taken. We have heard from many community members and we understand their concern and anger. Greenville ISD embraces diversity and believes in the importance of treating all people with respect and dignity. Really, Michael? Mm. Uh, Roland, uh, how many white students has that teacher done that to? Uh, that, 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 that's, that looks like child abuse. You can't do that. Okay. So, uh, I don't, I don't know how long this person has been a teacher. I want to know how many white students have you done that to? And also, I'm not exactly sure of the date that this took place, but because of this whole era of Derek Chauvin, George Floyd, why would you think something like that would be acceptable? Hello. No, but now, now, hopefully, hopefully this teacher is not teaching those students about slavery either. Uh, hopefully she, she ain't doing that either, you know. But um, if I could comment quickly on the previous story, Roland, if you want me to, dealing with slavery. Come on, quick, quick, quick. Okay. I encourage everybody to uh, download the study from the Southern Poverty Law Center called Teaching Hard History American Slavery. Teaching Hard History American Slavery. 
it, it teaches how to more correctly teach the history of slavery in schools and at home, and it breaks down how it's incorrectly taught. Okay, so it's a complicated history, too. I have to tell you, it's a complicated history. She know damn well, Ken, is that what she was trying to say? It ain't no joke on the day of the verdict, seeing that photo. She right. know it. Mm. Um, you know, here's what I see, false imprisonment, assault, battery, I also see, you know, just in terms of commenting, I wanted to say one thing. 1619, too, you can download a lot of teachable materials when it comes to slavery. But back to the teacher, it's not just police officers who have a metaphorical and literal knee on the neck or foot on the neck. It's people all around and professions that we know of and work closely with. This person was just stupid enough to send a picture to the mother. She could have charges coming against her as well as she should. Folks, when we come back, we'll talk about the importance of classroom finances, teaching our kids about money in our Education Matters segment. And also, Jamie Foxx has a new show on Netflix. Uh, we'll show you my interview with two of the stars of that show. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered. I knew those are people that love this country. <laughs> truly respect law enforcement. You would never do anything to, to break a law. The Capitol Police officer tragically killed. Officer Sicknick is the fifth person to die. I knew those are people that love this country. Had the tables been turned, those were tens of thousands of Black Lives Matter protesters. I might have been a little concerned. What is touches responsible for the content of this advertising? Carl Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks, young moguls are our future leaders. That's why the World of Money is hosting a virtual World of Money Youth Financial Education Training Institute. Uh, this uh, mission, their mission is to empower youth with a sound financial education. Joining me now with more details is Sabrina Lamb, founder executive director of worldofmoney.org. Sabrina, glad to have you here. Uh, money, obviously, is a topic that is crucially important. And the bottom line is it has it has to be taught. And we we got to stop assuming people are getting this stuff in the class uh, at home. Listen, we have to start. And thank you for being an advocate and delivering almost nightly master classes on the economic uh, liberation or for the economic liber liberation of African-Americans. And when we talk about this subject, sometimes the conversation does not include children. Our children are watching the economic uh, disparities. They understand or they sense that something is going on. Something is be behind that curtain. And so for the last 16 years, the World of Money organization has been committed and is the leading provider of immersive financial education for children ages 7 to 21. And so the only way we can start to or include in building this generational wealth gap rolling is to start with financial education. Uh, and, and speaking of that and how critically important that is, um, you know, we used to, of course, have homemaking, if you will, uh, in in schools. You had trades uh, that you were required to take. I remember that was the case in junior high, junior high and high school growing up in Houston. And it's still crazy to me that financial management is not mandatory 
in middle school and high schools? Well, it won't be. And here's why. Many teachers, they always say, well, our parents say, well, why isn't World of Money in every school? Well, when you hear from teachers, they say, look, my own financial house is on order. I don't, it, on fire. I don't understand this stuff. No one taught me or I didn't attend school with this or I don't know how to, you know, uh, manage uh, money myself. But when you deliver, it's really important who teaches the financial education because often, and we, we know this financial education everywhere. If we look, if we Google it, it's everywhere. But it has to be delivered to respond to the person that, that we want to teach. And as it relates to children, particularly African-American children, first we need to start because everybody knows, well, you should budget, you should save. Start with teaching our children that their very life, Roland, is worth saving. We have to start there because many children, particularly African-American children, do not believe culturally this is anything that we do. We don't live financially secure lives. We're only consumers. We're, and, we, and we demonstrate our, well, our, our self-worth, many children believe, by being consumers. Whose name do we have on our body? And so at World of Money, we bring children, you know, from, from a consumer mindset to being savers and investors. And really important, Roland, being philanthropists. Because we believe that you can't, you can't, you can't give, or nothing can enter a closed fist. And so our children are provided with a holistic financial education, starting with Mansa Musa, one of the richest uh, human beings in the world, originally from Mali. Well, uh, bottom line is this: here, you you, you have to, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, we, we have to be there because we cannot have another generation who grows up who doesn't understand money, who doesn't understand negotiation, who doesn't understand investment, uh, who doesn't understand uh, savings, who doesn't understand credit scores uh, and, how, and how critically important that is when you're just starting off uh, after college or, or heck, even while, while you're there. That's right. And so one of the things we teach at World is money. Never sign a document you don't understand what it is. And many of us do, and, and when we ask parents or children, why did you sign that document? Why did you sign that loan document? Many believe they don't have the right to say no. Or why do you use those predatory institutions, institutions in your neighborhood that are only in our neighborhoods? The payday, the payday loans, the check cashing, the rent centers only in, in communities where it's demonstrated there is zero financial education. And when children are taught Oh my gosh, this what the what the financial result or impact of continuing to to um, to you know serve or, or, or support those type of uh, predatory institutions, a new day comes on. But first we have to teach children that we're not a, a community or a people that don't have the power to change so much. I mean our approach is definitely um, from a, um, a holistic in terms of not from hoard or greed, but using one of the most powerful currencies on the planet. And, and we teach our children also how our people have, have leveraged the power of their economics to achieve human rights liberation from, you know, Montgomery bus boycott and so on. Uh, our qu and qu our questions for our panel here. I'll start first with Candace. You know, I'm wondering what do you think the solution is in terms of first steps to teach young people how to get in the game? I'm barely hearing Candace. I hear, I, 
I know she asked something, but I barely could make out what she uh, said. Let's, uh, Candace, ask the question again, because Sabrina couldn't really hear your question. Okay, can you hear me now? I heard you say that, yes. Go ahead. Okay. In, in, in terms of what are some of the first steps that you think young people should be taught in order to get into the game of that economic building and wealth building and understanding that they're not just consumers? I heard in order to get young people into the wealth building, and then I did not hear the remainder of what you said. In order for them to be entrepreneurs and not just consumers. Okay, so that is part of it. If you're not, if you're not a saver, an investor, yeah. an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, and so uh -uh. forth, you're not. You don't have a, a proper or a holistic engagement with money. We, we definitely teach at WorldOfMoney.org entrepreneurship because we encourage everyone to have another stream of income, not just one, but, you know, delivering on a job which is probably great or a career, but how to create other tools so that you can have another stream of income in your life. And because our children are so brilliant, they have the capacity to create businesses and, and income streams that never even thought of. And so that's what we really encourage you to teach at worldfund.org. All right, question from um, Xavier. Yes, uh, thank you for your, 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 your advocacy. Why do you think that the age seven is the, the age to get started in terms of your programs and in getting financial literacy? Xavier, let me tell you something. These little children, they understand the power of money. They've been watching their parents argue, fuss, and fight, take out money from their purse or their wallet to go to the store since they were in their crib. So they understand that thing can get me what I want. Get what, I, what I need, but I really want that one. And so start at age seven because we want to start to rearrange how children feel about interacting with money that they can become financial players in the household. So that families, which I believe are businesses that have revenue and expenses and goals and so forth, so families can come together together with their children. What is our savings goal this year? What is our philanthropic goal this year? What are we going to support? What kind of business can we create as a family? So money, starting with age seven and probably even younger, is an opportunity for families to come together and strengthen their bonds as opposed to we're arguing that someone passed away. We don't know where the, the will is. This baby wanted me to have the pearls. We wanted financial education and strengthening the bonds within families lowers the emotional chaos and the yelling regarding this very powerful currency. All right. Uh, last question coming from Michael. Um, you know, I, I think it's great what you're doing. And, you know, I should you should teach entrepreneurship for a number of years. I was just wondering, what, what are some of the types of businesses that the uh, children have started? Oh, so Dante Stewart underscore Ab, which is an online platform that curates um, artists in, in creating revenue streams for their art. I think of Russell Theron. Um, Roland met him briefly because he won the, uh, the American Heart Association Accelerator, won $50,000. He created an app because he be he became diabetic, created an app that could uh, detect the glucose levels in their blood. I think of Monica Sayome, who's now 26 years old, just purchased her multifamily home or building in the Bronx, 
is a real estate investor and a realtor. And I'm so proud of them because they they absorbed all everything that we taught at World of Money. By the way, we're the leading provider of 120 immersive classroom hours of financial education, including ethics, uh, chi um, uh, Mandarin Chinese, and Excel spreadsheets. So, you know, these children, those are just some of the examples. These children grabbed this information and started applying for the, to their life. And also, we have many children who live five, five miles away from Wall Street, didn't even know a career in financialist services even existed. We have Garrett, who's working on Wall Street. He didn't even know that financial services even existed. So we, when we have, as a community, these conversations regarding pipeline, the pipeline for us at World of Money in, in exposing our children, it started at age, at age seven, when we take them to the NASDAQ or the Federal Reserve and they understand the flow of money throughout their communities, the society, as, as well as the world. All right, uh, folks get more information, where do they go? Worldofmoney.org, and on May 1, we're having for women a born rich global conversation about money. We have experts from South Africa, from Ghana, from the United States beaming in to inspire women so that we can all, of course, men are welcome, and we're going to have a, 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 a seminar or a forum for men in June so that we can all hit the reset button regarding our relationship with money. Thank you so much. All right, Sabrina Lamb, thank you so very much. All right, folks, uh, the new Netflix comedy, Dad, Stop Embarrassing Me, is inspired by the real-life relationship between Jamie Foxx and his daughter, Corinne, who also serves as the show's executive producer. I caught up with co-stars Portia Coleman and Jonathan Kite, who told me what it was like on being on the set with the comedy legends, David Allen Greer and Jamie Foxx. Rollermart and Rollermart Unfiltered. Yes, Portia, you didn't know I was going to be here today. <laughs> How funny. No, I did not. <laughs> I love it. Indeed. Jonathan, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? Doing great. Portia and I were texting late last night. Uh, he was and jamming on the gram, had, too. I, I was jamming on Instagram. She had no idea I was going to be chatting with her today. Uh, no. glad, to have, uh, glad to have both of y'all here. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, yeah. Portia, how do, you, how do you deal with the, being the ignorant daughter of David Allen Grill? Ah, the ignorant? Being the daughter of the ignorant father, David Allen Green. You know what? Listen, it's like, you know, the apple don't fall, fall from the tree sometimes because, you know, that is our father. So there's certain moments in this show where you're going to really feel like, no, she didn't. No, he didn't. But then you realize, oh, that's why they all family because he's the matriarch of the family. So it was amazing playing alongside David Allen Greer because he is iconic. Him and Jamie Foxx on The Living Color is like nothing you can ever, you know, recreate because of their chemistry. But now watching them play father and son and the dynamic of the sister and then the boyfriend and then the daughter, it was just incredible to watch that dynamic. But, you know, I don't feel like I'm ignorant. I'm smart. I'm educated. And I just have little moments when it's like, <laughs> oh, okay, I should have known that. But I, I didn't, you know, I guess a blonde moment, if you want to say. Ah, <laughs> uh, little moments, little moments, as moment. we call them. Got mm -hmm. it. Jonathan, uh, first of all, to be in the mix uh, with uh, these, uh, all these different type of people, just, uh, just, ex just provide uh, what that experience uh, was like on set, uh, being in this combustible mix. I mean, personally, you know, we've, I've been friends, Portia and I have been friends many, many, many years. Uh, Jamie mm -hmm. and I have been friends many, many, many years. 
And to do a sitcom with people that you love and respect, but that you're actually friends with is, is not, I mean, I think people, there's an idea that people are just know each other in Hollywood, but that's not the case. So to finally get on set with people that you have an actual previous relationship with that you care about and you spend time with is a dream come true. Now, professionally, it's unbelievable because everybody on the show is so multi-talented in so many ways. And to bring like a collection of these people, I mean, it feels like the Avengers, right? So it's like everybody, <laughs> everybody can do everything. And so when you get us together, I mean, it really is like the perfect starting five. Yes. Uh, and I, and obviously there were uh, lots of, first of all, it, it's a sitcom, but uh, I'm sure at some point somebody had to say, cut, cut, st- enough with the laughing, my goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, look, <laughs> look, come on, we got to get some work done. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, oh, that happened. It was working, yeah. It happened, but then we knew, you know, that we always try to bust each other up because if we were able to make somebody else laugh in the scene and they, you know, and they weren't on camera for it, you know, then yeah. we, that was the take. That was it. Oh, so many moments. I remember like one episode when, you know, Jamie's in, in one of his characters and he has this boom box. That's a backpack. So when he walks on set, you think he's carrying a backpack, but it's a whole boom box. And next, you know, he presses play and the boom box is just blasting music. And one day he started playing Proud Mary by Tina Turner. And all of a sudden I'm just like, I'm inspired. I'm doing my Tina and I hit it. Next, oh, you know, Lord. Oh. Right in. I'm telling you, and I have the footage. Like once the show comes out, we can release all this behind the scenes footage that we have. He went into full Ike Turner mode and we are just right in the middle of I'm choreography and all. So to answer your question, there are so many moments that we have off camera that brought this to life. When you're seeing action and role, we were already doing something in between where we just fell into it so organically. Because again, we are all friends and family in real life. So Jonathan, did, did, did you hop into that dance? Yeah, I was, I was, I play the, an audience member. Tina fan and mm-hmm. uh, who's just like yep um, he, but, he hit us with his signature uh, da, 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 it's like the arms da, 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 his arms da, 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 are signature yeah. <laughs> I call it the bobblehead um, but yeah I mean the fact that we were able to sort of have those performances for each other I mean that's the thing we I think we entertain each other so much and the fact that yes. you know we're able to bring that to a show, I think, is what makes it so entertaining. Oh, mm-hmm. I would also, I would also venture, uh, venture Portia, that because of COVID, because of what it is, it forced productions to do. That mm-hmm. you, that frankly, people became even closer than normal because you had to be locked in. I mean, I say the same way with my show. I mean, you know, you, you have no choice uh, but to yeah. sort of be this this nucleus as a result of shooting this during during, during all, all the COVID uh, protocols. Without question. I mean, we were testing like every other day on the set. We would be in full blown like, I mean, David Allen had the headgear on. We had to have masks. They were mandatory. Some of us, you know, wore gloves. It was like they were they were going all out to make sure we were super safe. And when we took them off to actually start a scene, it's like, oh, oh, wow, that's what you were actually doing underneath them. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give a different reaction now because I actually see what you're doing because it's hard. Imagine a face shield and a mask and you're delivering dialogue like this and you're trying to rehearse like that. So we were definitely forced to, I think, overwork and, and, and to really show each other what we were capable of without having a million people on set. There were no friends on set. It was all of the people that were there working and the COVID team. That's it. <laughs> and everything else was all digital on Zoom. Even our run-throughs were on Zoom, and it was crazy. But we got through it, and to watch the show come to life how it did is absolutely incredible. 
And I, and I would I dare say, Jonathan, again, that because there are no outside influence, it, influences, it's just the folks working on the project, which is yeah. different from other projects. Yeah, I mean, it was a real bonding experience. You know, we were sort of going through this together in an incredibly unique and, and original way, because obviously nothing like this has ever happened before. But the fact that I think that we, we obviously have the backbone of Jamie Foxx, the stories with his daughter, the relationship... Uh, the legendary relationship between him and David Allen Greer. I mean, I think it's a, you know, I think there was a lot of faith that we all had in each other that this is going to be funny and that we are really good barometers for one another because if we can make each other laugh, I feel like the world's going to have a blast watching the show. Yeah, because these are real stories, you know? It's real stories. Corinne has this real... So every story almost that you're seeing on the show happened between her and Jamie. And you're like, oh my God, he didn't really do that, did he? And she's like, he did. That <laughs> happened. I'll tell you how old I was, where we were. So we're just bringing their own dynamic to life. And it's it's beautiful just to, to, to watch it play out. All right. Well, Jonathan, I appreciate it. Portia, you know you owe me. We got a ticket next time I'm in LA. I know, for sure, for sure. Rolling, you're the best. Love you so much. Roll them Love you as well, awesome. darling. Y'all awesome. take care. Bye. Look, look, look forward to the show. Have a good one. All right, Dad, stop embarrassing me. You can watch it now on Netflix. All right, uh, to my panel, I certainly appreciate it. It has been an absolutely crazy, unbelievable week. Uh, of course, uh, Tuesday, uh, Derek Chauvin found uh, guilty. Um, it'll be sentenced in eight weeks. And, of course, mm-hmm. then, of course, we had the case of Makia Bryant uh, out of Columbus, Ohio. Uh, happened the same day covering that. Uh, it has been just uh, one thing after the other. Uh, and uh, I think uh, I would dare say, Candace, I think folk uh, are really looking to uh, a uh, quiet uh, respite uh, this weekend. Then, of course, last night, uh, so many of us uh, were shocked by the news of the death of Shock G, of course, and also yes. known as Humpty Hump, uh, of course, mm-hmm. with the group um, uh, Digital Underground. And so, uh, man, talk about, uh, you know, losing him and losing uh, so many uh, others recently, um, uh, Black Rob, DMX, right. uh, you name it. Uh, I, I do want to play this here, man. This, this was this unbelievable, unbelievable interview uh, that was done uh, where, uh, where he, was, uh, he was talking about, um, Shock G was talking about uh, the sound. You know, people often make a mistake when they, when they, uh, they make a mistake when we talk about hip-hop artists as if they're not smart, as if they're not musical geniuses. But, but listen to Shock G break down uh, these incredible artists. Listen to this. Humpty Hump and Slick Rick rhyme from the nasal palate. Nas rhymes from the back of his throat. Biggie is a swinger. He swings like a horn player over jazz. B-I-G-P-O-P-P-A. No info for the D-E-A. He put more... Emphasis on the uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. He's just spelling his name. But the flow, vicious. Pac, on the other hand, I think Tupac pulled from Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. I don't know when it is that we're going to make it to the mountaintop. But one day all the children will be able to play together. All the children, all the... It's like pouring those words out because you mean it. And that's why, you know, I never had a father figure, but I was raised by the thugs and the drug dealers. That's why I love that singing that Pac was doing and his stuff. Humpty Hump and Slick Rick rhyme from the nasal. Uh, absolutely musical genius, dead at the age of 57. 
Mm-hmm. He, he, he played multiple he played multiple instruments. Uh, Xavier Candace Michael, go. Yeah, Shock G played multiple in, multiple instru- instruments. He played multiple characters. MC Blowfish, Humpy Hump, Piano Man, Packet Man. Shock G was an v- extremely talented artist and producer, and it's a big loss for hip hop in a week a week of, week of uh, hip hop. Uh, DMX gave it X gave it to you. Black Rob made us go like whoa. And Shock G did what you like. Candace. The stage presentations and what he did just in terms of the nose and the glasses and everything that he did, he was really a marketing genius. And what's amazing about all these people, you and I have uh, been alive long enough to know of the time when they said rap is just going to be a fast, uh, passing a phase. And certain artists are going to just be passing. But these people stayed and they are going to stay. They put us and they put that song on. It puts you at a time. It takes you back. And that's when you know you're a great artist. And somebody can just transport you to another time. And that's what all these artists have done for us who we've lost so recently. They transport us back and just always make you feel good about yourself to see and, and see who you are, just to see them on stage. Amazing. It's, it's a shame that we lost them. It's so young. So young. 57 is young. Michael. Right. Michael, final comment. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is a big loss. I talked about it on my show last night. I remember when Sex Packers came out. I remember Digital Underground, 1989, 1990. Remember the Humpty Dance, all that stuff. Do what you like. I remember uh, 1993, I get around Tupac, and Tupac was with the Digital Underground before he went solo. So, yeah, you know, it's a big loss, man. He's he's a real part of uh, hip-hop history also. Very talented brother, uh and and I think the hump I think the Humpty character kind of overshadowed everything else that he did, you know. So, uh, but yeah, this is a big loss. Indeed, Shock G, uh, folks, dead at the age of fifty-seven, and so um, it uh, man, uh, that is certainly a, a huge loss uh, right there. So we'll end the show. On that note, folks, we certainly appreciate all that y'all do supporting what we do here at Rollerbot and Unfiltered. Uh, y'all can support us by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you can give it to us via Cash App, dollar sign RM Unfiltered, Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered, PayPal.me forward slash R Martin Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at RollingSmartin.com. And of course, uh, you can send a money order to New Vision Media, 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Tomorrow, I'm going to be speaking to the Dallas Fort Worth alumni chapter of Florida A&M University. Uh, they sent me uh, the gear. Come on, uh, sent me the gear. So yeah, yeah, be rocking uh, the Rattlers colors tomorrow. So looking forward uh, to chatting with uh, the uh, DFW chapter of Florida A&M. And so uh, can't wait to chat with y'all tomorrow, folks. That is it for me. Yes, I'm rocking my throwback Houston Rockets colors. Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's the one I grew up on. So that's what we see right there. Uh, yo, start the thing over, y'all. Y'all started the y'all started the list. The chart list. Look, these both pay. So start it over. You start. You flash it too uh, too early. Folk want to see their names. So start the playlist over. We always end the show on Friday, uh, showing you other names. Yeah, you go. Y'all starting too early again. I don't know where y'all gonna learn that. So here we go. Thank you. There you go. So those are the charter members of our uh, Bring the Funk fan club, the people who have joined since we launched September 4th, 2018. And so we appreciate all of y'all's support. If you don't see your name, send us an email. We'll be sure to add it. Folks, I'll see y'all on Monday. Holla!
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.